Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I gotta tell you something, people. I'm very excited about my guest today because, one, she was in an iconic comedy film. I, I could say one of the best comedy movies ever, which was Airplane. And, two, she was in an iconic TV show. And if you're someone my age, we watched that on weekends with our parents. She was in a love boat. And my guest is Joe Whelan. How you doing, Joe? I'm good. How you doing? I'm doing well. I, I want to start off with something serious. Um, I usually I, I saw you respond to a, a tweet by Valerie Bertinelli last week about mm-hmm. the weight, and you talked about your diet. I want to, I want you to tell me about how Hollywood treated you back then, because you said they had you on some crazy diet, and and do you think it's changed? I want to hear about this. Um, I think it's definitely changing a bit. But um, it's definitely better than it was uh, when I was coming up. Like like you mentioned, I had to do all of these crazy diets. I mean, they were asking my I, and I was never a fat kid. I was always a normal kid. I look back at pictures now, and I happened to have a very round face when I was little, which made me look maybe a little heavier in a close up. But as an adult in my 50s, I'm very happy I had that round face because that makes me look younger than my age now. So so that's really good. But, you know, they did a lot of nefarious little things. Um, and I can speak about it now because Doug Kramer is no longer with us. He's passed away. He was one of our producers. He, I actually just found this out um, probably a month ago from one of my castmates. And she was telling me that we would go in for wardrobe fittings at the beginning of a new season when we'd been on hiatus and uh, overheard that Doug Kramer had asked the wardrobe department to buy our clothes in a size smaller than we were the last time to make us think that we'd gained weight. And and it was a horrible sort of a, a screw with your mind situation, but... um you know, I, I I suppose with everything that could happen as being a child actor in Hollywood, that wasn't the worst of it. I had a great mom who would constantly tell Doug Kramer, I'm not putting my 12-year-old on a diet. She's just fine. But as I got older and the pressure on her got heavier, then that's when we started trying these drastic measures and, you know, these 400 calorie a day diets things, which is not something you can sustain and takes your metabolism a while to bounce back from something like that. So it's really not a good, a good thing to do for kids. And then, you know, after that comes the PTSD of constantly thinking about equating your value with how you physically look. And that's, you know, that takes a lot of therapy. It takes a lot of looking inward. It takes a lot of reprogramming. Um, but on the other side of the coin, everybody's got a cross to bear. If that was my worst cross to bear, it ain't that bad. Exactly. Now, what guys, right? Were you, I mean, as a real little, little, little kid, were you like always talking like when you were two or three? Cause I, I wouldn't shut up when I was a little kid, but then I got real shy and it was weird. But then I came back out of my shell somewhat, but I'm still a little bit introverted. But what were you like as like a little, before you started acting, I think you started at like eight, but what were you like at like three and four? Were you that kid who was always like precocious and ready to go? I was always performing shows in our living room. We would take a broom and a sheet and lay the sheet over the broom, 
which was stuck in between chairs, and that would be our curtains. And we would perform. I would perform in the bathroom with the um, toilet paper roll as my microphone. Um, the, I've only ever wanted to act. That's all I've ever wanted to do. And it's frankly one of the only things I'm really good at. Um, I can cook, and I can decorate and throw parties, but um, don't put me in a cubicle with mathematical equations. That is not my strong suit. So... I I do this because I'm not really good at much else. But it, it's funny. But you know, it's funny is though, and a lot of people say that because I, 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 I did stand up comedy for a long time, and the same thing. And I had a business job, and I hated it. I sold fax machines when I got out of college. God, I hated getting in a suit. But I think it's funny because actors, any entertainer, and I know you sang and stuff like that. We're we have a different mindset. Like we have an intelligence. I always think that people don't really get. Like we. We have to learn how to, we're constantly selling something because when you go to an audition, you're selling yourself. And I think that's what's funny is I think we're a lot more business savvy than we, we give ourselves credit for. Um, I think, I mean, I think we're a lot more self-aware of our behavior in public. I don't know if I would call it business savvy. I have so many acting friends, myself included, who... Um, spent a lot of time forgetting to pay attention to the business side of the business. I mean, it's show business and, and a lot of us have had to learn the hard way. Um, but I, I think as an actor, you just, um, you're a student of human nature. Your life is constantly in a scientific lab of paying attention to human nature and human behavior. That's, that's how we, that's how we, we that's vital to who we are as actors because that's what we we call upon to create a role now back to your childhood you grew up in oakland now when do you start i was born in oakland okay. i grew up in in livermore until i was nine okay and then i moved to la okay so so what brought you to la were you starting to act already and your family moved there or i mean how did you get into the business per se because when you're a kid, and it's not like now, you know, now you can send stuff on the internet, you can do this. But back then, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, if you had an audition, you had to drive, you couldn't do it. How did you actually start getting work as a kid? I knew you did commercials. Well, when I was, uh, I think I was probably, you know, eight, probably about eight. Uh, my mom was a preschool director and she had summer preschool for kids for parents who were working and the only thing she could find she needed something creative for me because it wasn't going to work for me to be in a biochem lab summer camp um and the only thing that was around was in the town called pleasanton which was next door to livermore and they were doing a community theater production of the king and i and my mom thought well that'd be great gee there's a lot of kids in that so it'll almost be like summer camp and so she went to the only voice teacher in the in the whole bay area close to us in our little area um a woman named marie cochran and said listen i've got my kid she's got one i want to put her in this show just because i i gotta work and i can't have her with me um and it seems like it might be creative but she's got to sing something and i i don't know i don't know if she can sing or but can you give her a song for the audition and marie said i don't teach children and she said i'm not asking for a voice i just this one time just give her a song i don't know how to tell her what to do 
And so Marie said, all right, and brought me in. And I ended up being her student for uh, years. And um, uh, she trained me. Uh, I was trained in opera to start and uh, classical music, and then, which was my basis for learning to sing. Um, that's not what I do now. Now I do, you know, American standards is really my, my favorite thing to do. Um, but so I, I got the part, the only speaking part in the show. And there were other kids that were working who were wor working actors in San Francisco. And I thought that would be really cool. So I said, how do you do that? And they said, well, just send your picture into, here's my agent's address, send in a school picture and tell her that's what you want to do. So I sent in a school picture without my, my parents knowing. And, um, they called my mother and said, we'd like to see your daughter. She said, how do you know about my kid? She said, well, we have this letter from her. And so my mom said, said to me, all right, well, here's the deal. I'll take you into auditions. I will take you there, but I am not going in with you. If you want to go in, you will walk up the stairs into the Brebner agency yourself. You will do your audition and I will wait for you right here. And the minute that you start crying is the minute that we don't think this is fun anymore and then we won't do it. So until this is no longer fun and you take it too seriously, you can do it. But after that, we're not doing that anymore. And um, it only happened once when I started to cry. I was in an audition and I don't remember what it was in San Francisco and I was in the waiting room and the there was a mother there with her daughter brushing her daughter's beautiful long hair and the mother looked across at me with my because I was a gymnast and I was a and I was on a swim team and tennis I was constantly doing sports and my hair was constantly a rat's nest so my mother took me to the local beauty school and got me a permanent wave so I had an afro so which was probably part of my appeal and why I got a lot of work but this mother looked across at me, brushing her daughter's long, beautiful brown hair, and said, well, if all the girls are as ugly as that little girl, you should have no problem with this job. And so I went in, did my audition, came out, went downstairs, very quiet. My mom said, what's wrong? Didn't the audition go well? I said, no, I, I don't know. I'm sure it was fine. Well, why are you upset? I told her what happened, and she started laughing. And she said, if you believe that, then what are we doing here? That's not, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Why would you believe that? And so that's my mom. I, I think it's so, I think it's so important for parents to support their kids in the arts. I, it's something that, you know, when I did comedy, I got out of college, but my, my dad was never really too enthused until he saw my name in the paper. And, oh, okay. Then it's something, it's one of those, after, right. you know, oh, okay, they're doing something. But it's great because there's so many people whose parents don't encourage them and then they end up could be the most talented person in the world but they never get anywhere because they don't have that that drive and i think that's great that your mom helped you now did, did your mom move you to california la just to follow your acting or i mean how did you no. end up in la no oh she would never have done that because i have a brother and sister so what happened is that this voice teacher marie her best friend lived in los angeles and was a working actress in la and had an agent. So she had come to visit Maria up in Northern California. And Marie said, you got to meet this girl. She's 
she she's she needs to be that she, she needs to be working and so i guess as they tell the story the way i met laney was i cartwheeled into the splits into the room when i met her and um she introduced me to her agent uh or sent my headshots to her agent and her agent said yeah we'd like to sign her and they brought me down to los angeles to audition for the road company of annie they were doing the touring company of it. So I went down to the Dorothy P Chandler Pavilion. I auditioned for Peter Duchin, not Peter Duchin, that's a, an orchestra leader. Peter, oh my God, I'm having a senior moment, I can't think. But anyway, the producers of Annie, and they hired me. But there was a talent scout there from Aaron Spelling Productions who was looking for some kids to star in a new series they were doing called Friends. It's not the Friends thing. Right we know now or I drive a much nicer car but it, it was called friends and it was about three different kids in three different financial brackets I was the daughter of um, a single dad uh, my mom in the series had died then there was another little kid named uh, Charlie Aiken who was in a middle-class working-class Irish family and Karen Morrow played his mom and then there was Jared Johnson, who was in an affluent black family. I think the father's character was a lawyer or, or something like that. And so there was a story about those three kids, and we were against 60 Minutes at the time. And back then, they didn't change time slots around to see if something might work at a better time. And 60 Minutes, nobody's to this day beat 60 Minutes. So the show didn't go, but I had guest starred on Love Boat as the role of Vicky uh, in that in a episode that inferred that I could have been or could be the captain's daughter, but I had another show to go back to at the time and yeah, then did, canceled you. How did you juggle that? Because that's like, because now you don't hear about that much. You know, you, you were, and it's funny because you, you were going for the Annie audition and you end up getting this TV show. And it's just, I mean, so did you have any idea that like how blessed you were because you had this, no. this show and then you had the love God, boat? No. So, so you go to the love boat. And you do that it episode. It was just all fun and games for me. So you do the episode on Love Boat. And then you go back to Friends. And then Friends mm -hmm. gets canceled. And so then, do you have some downtime? Or does the Love Boat come back and say, P we want you on the show? I had a little bit of downtime. And I was back in Northern California. And Aaron called me and said, hey, we'd like to bring you back as a series regular. Would you come back and play on the Love Boat with us? And I said, absolutely. And that's kind of how that happened then i came back down to la and um we still didn't rent a house or anything because my mother had no idea what would happen my mom would drive we would drive back up north every weekend to be with my brother and sister and my mom would spend time up north to be with my brother and sister and my dad while i was working and laney would come on the set with me um and that's kind of how my life was for i don't know the first year as a regular and then when we realized this is going to be a while. My brother was off to college. My sister was in her senior year. And we decided, okay, I guess we better rent a house. And so that's what we did. We rented a house. Now, and now was Airplane before Love Boat? Uh, Airplane was right around, it was 77. So it was before Love Boat. Um, and I think right after Friends, probably somewhere in there. I want to hear about that because, you know, 
I, I still remember when that movie came out. You know, it was one of those things, you know, you know, cable was coming out in New Jersey and it was just so funny. And, and it's one of those things, me and my wife were talking the other day that if you're flipping around and you see it, you, you watch it for at least 20 minutes but, and you're going to laugh. And I, I know the jokes may be dated and that, but it's still, I mean, you're seeing, even when the guitar hits, go down the aisle, hits the people in the head. It's just so funny. But tell me about how that came about. And did you have any idea how how the, that would movie would... You know, we. it's funny because we all felt the same way about it in that, you know, we left everything on the floor. And it was either going to be a huge success or it was going to be a monumental failure. We had no idea because there wasn't anything out. There was chicken fried movie. But... That was kind of it for that kind of movie spoof thing. We were the beginning of that genre. And so um, we didn't know. And my mom didn't want me to go to the premiere because she felt like we wouldn't get an honest reaction to what people really thought. So the night of the premiere, we went to a movie theater and sat in the back just to see what people would think. And uh, then we kind of knew. How many takes did it take you? Because you're, you're sitting there, your face is going up, you're making funny faces. And just as a kid, I know how at that you know, certain age, it's hard to keep us from laughing. You know, something when you're doing something like that. How long did, did you, were you like a one take Jake or did, you, did it take a few times? Because it must have just been fun shooting it. And I would think you were just in a good mood, even though you're playing someone who is dying. Oh, no, it was a blast shooting it. I, I loved it. Um, and I don't recall... If it was one take or not, um, I I know I never broke character, um, but I actually don't remember. I mean, my gosh, that's so long ago. Um, but I do remember that it was a really fun atmosphere on the set and the encouragement to improv and to, I mean, the whole face scene was from my audition I went into my audition with the executive producer and he said, make a funny face. I said, okay. And that's the face I made. Now, Love Boat. We'll go back to Love Boat because that was such a big show. And, and you know, when you talk to, now I, I feel like get off my lawn when I talk to young people, you go, no, you don't understand. On a Saturday night, there is like three networks. And when people watch the show, millions watch the show. Like even a lower ranked show back then would be high yeah. ranked now. Yeah. You get on that first season. First of all, how do you mend with your kid? There's a crew. There's a, there's the great actors you're with. And then you always have great guest stars. What's it like for a kid? It must've been like fascinating because you're, you have Gavin McLeod and you have the whole, everyone, but then every week new people are coming on. I mean, as an actor, how long did it take you to get really comfortable in that set? Because it's still changing all the time. And, once again, you're not like you're an 18, 19 year old kid in the beginning. You're you're young. Well, I think the fact that I wasn't an 18 or 19 year old kid made it much more comfortable. I mean, my parents loved to entertain. So we had parties all the time. So we always had people over. We were very social. So for me to be on a set where we had new people every week was fun. And it was very much like growing up in my house in that, you know, we constantly had family and friends over and my mom and was was always entertaining and um, it's because I was so young that I didn't 
understand the magnitude of the opportunity that I was given. It's because I was so young. I didn't have to pay my dues back then. I paid them after. But in terms of getting a job and, you know, pounding the streets, I didn't have to do that. It happened meteorically fast for me. Um, so it was just fun. If I, I think if I had understood the, um, the social um, excitement about the people that we were working with, that the legends that we worked with, I think if I understood that in as an you know on an adult level, I think it would have really messed with my head. And the reason I say that is once I was a parent, I worked with um, Dick Van Dyke on his show, but now I was a parent. Now I had a son, and we watched Disney movies every day together, and all of the ones that Dick Van Dyke was in. And so I had a different level of respect and understanding about the um, just the enormity of the talent that he had and of his career and of his provenance that um, I had a very hard time focusing. And I know I tripped over his foot at one point because I was just so... Now I'm looking at Dick Van Dyke through my son's eyes and it became something completely different and I think as a kid the blessing was that as much as I I was a and still am a huge black and white movie buff I love them I used to play with paper dolls of you know uh, Marilyn Monroe and uh, Doris Day and Lillian Gish and Olivia de Havilland and, you know, June Allison and all those things. Little did I know I would be working with those people. But I didn't have the, the world knowledge to understand what an impact they had at that age. And that is, I think, what saved me because I was able to, to meet them at a human level as opposed to meet their resume first. What's it like when you sit there and you're on it for a, a long time, when you have a father on the show, you have Gavin, is it, I mean, and you're playing his daughter and you, it's, you're always with him, you're on the set and what's it like? Is it, is it like a second father? I mean, did, did, did he look out for you? Like did the other people in the cast look out for you? Cause you were the, you were the kid. But I mean, when someone plays your father, it must be interesting. Like I talked to Matthew Lawrence a few weeks ago and he, on Beverly Hills 902, I know he played Brian Austin Green's father, and he had done like Circus of the TV Stars with him, and he bonded with him when he was a little kid. So years later, he said, "Oh well, you know, I really like this kid. I can be his father. You know, it, I don't have a problem playing that part." What is it like for you? Because it's it's like a second father, I'm guessing. He really, really was. Gavin was my closest confidant, my dear friend, um, a wonderful father figure. We just had the best time. We giggled and we laughed together. Um, I would come to him with, you know, my teenage angst, angst problems. And he just, you know, he had my heart in his hands and he took such good care of it. Um, as did the, the other cast members. I mean, we were all extremely still close. Um, I love each and every one of them. And we see each other, you know, at least once a year. Everybody's spread out around the country. The people I probably see the most uh, are, is probably Ted Lange because Ted and I have done some other work together. I, I did a pilot that I wrote and produced and I had Ted direct it. 
So, so, so we're super close, but we always text with each other and back and forth. Um, so we're extremely close and they are wonderful people. Now, as, as you're growing up on the show, I mean, cause you were growing up, you're going through teenage. What is that like? Because people, well, first of all, you're getting recognized. I mean, what's it like to be recognized? Once again, everyone, I, I, I talked to someone and I, we said, oh, yeah, the love boat. Everyone remembers the love boat. You know, I mean, so what was it like for you to be recognized? Because, you know, I'm talking to you, you're very down to earth and you sound like the way you're all brought, you were very down to earth. But did it ever start getting to your head a little bit that like you were a TV star? Because you were and you got to do the game shows and you got to do Battle of the Network Stars probably. But what was, did, did it ever get to your head and did someone leash you back in and go, no, Jill, Jill, you're the same person You've just, you've gotten this break. Um, it, it could have, but if there was any inkling that that was happening, my mom was right there because she set a precedent uh, my very first day on the set when I was doing Friends. We were on the set and one of the producers came up and said to my mother with me standing right next to her, you know, if there's ever anybody on this set that Jill doesn't like, just let us know and we'll have them fired because we don't want her to be uncomfortable. And my mother looked at this woman producer and laughed at her and said, <laughs> let me explain to you. If you ever give my daughter that kind of power again, we will be out of here before the ink on the contract is dry. And to say that in front of her is deplorable. And the woman like skulked away. And I think that's the precedent that my mom set for my bosses and, but also for me. And it was, all, I, I never, um, again, for me, everything I did was playing. Everything I did was fun. It wasn't, it wasn't a grind like that. I mean, sure, there were days when I maybe had worked, done an event the night before, and I had to go to the set that day and do my three hours of schooling. And I might have fallen asleep once or twice in my classroom, um, which was difficult because I was the only student. <laughs> um, but um, she, you know, I'm still afraid of my mother. And I think that's the reason why I haven't been arrested yet. Yet. But... Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I think that's an important thing. She never got hypnotized by the money or the fame, and in some cases, power, that this industry is unfortunately rife with. Um, and a lot of kids, I used to teach an acting class when I lived in Pennsylvania, and I would say to my kids all the time that I taught, or their parents, that, you know, first of all, this is a business and it's not filled with child specialists who understand how to raise children. It's people in a business and they want the child to stand there, do that, say what they're supposed to say, be an adult when they want them to be an adult and be a child when they want them to be a child. And we'll do whatever we can to conjole cajole and convince and get them to do that in any situation. And I think that's, that breeds a lot of problems for these kids. And, and the parents forgot that their first job was to be a parent, not to be a momager or a dadager. 
And sometimes, in some cases, those parents wanted the celebrity more than their child wanted it. And that's where the problem comes. If the parent doesn't understand that their first job is to protect their kid and to keep them normal. I didn't know what I made until I was an adult. No idea. Because my mother wouldn't tell me. Looking back, when you said like you were the only person in the class, did you did yeah. you feel like sometimes that you were missing out on the on the actual high school life or junior high school? Did, did that ever cross your mind? Like you know, you were everyone knew you on TV, everyone loved you, and but then it's like you said you were like the only person in the class, and I think a lot of times it's you you can miss out on that kind of stuff. What what is your take on that now? Do you think that you missed out a little bit on the childhood, or would, would you have not changed it? You know, again, I hate to keep beating the same drum, but it was my mom who made it. First of all, people always ask me, what was it like growing up on TV as compared to something else? And my 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 answer is always the same. I don't know. This is the only childhood I ever had. So I really don't have anything else to compare it to. But what I will say in terms of my mom is that when I was on the set working, if I worked in the morning and I was done by 10, 30, 11, I would be immediately taken to my regular school and back in class. When we were on hiatus, I was in every school production. Um, I, I paid my dues there. I started off in the lighting department and painting sets before I ever got cast in anything at school. Um, and then I would be cast at stuff at school. And sometimes that would bring jealousies and things from the other kids at school. Like, why are you letting her do this? She, that's what she does for a living. We just want to do it in school. But I auditioned and paid my dues just like every single one of the other kids did. Um, And so uh, I didn't feel like I should be penalized for that. And it was a school where um, I went to the school called Buckley, which is in Sherman Oaks. And there were a lot of celebrities' children there. Barry White's kids were there. Joan Rivers' daughter was there. I went to school with Melissa Rivers and um, Laura Dern and I were very close. So it wasn't as though what I did for a living was so alien to everybody else. Uh, I was a little fish in a big pond there. But, you know, there are, you know, it got a little dicey sometimes with some kids. I remember I was doing a production of King and I, again, but this time I was playing Tough Tim. But they double cast it because the senior wanted to play the part and the director wanted me to play the part, so he double cast the whole show. So on my night of performing, um, the boyfriend of one of the actresses in the show went backstage and took the batteries out of my microphone. So, you know, what are you gonna do? It is what it is. But, you know, she was back to your original question. You know, she created a very normal life for me as best she could in a very abnormal situation. And I think, you know, I owe everything to her and and what she did for me and the sacrifices that my whole family made for me to have this career. Now, when the show is coming to an end, do you know, is it, is it something that they told you? Did, did you know that the show was going to get canceled or was going to end? What happens? Because... Once again, that's such a long time you've been on it. And, and whenever there's a long show, it's not only the cast that becomes tight. The whole crew does, you know, the grip, yes. the camera person. They've been working yes. to do it. Because so, when it's a top show, you're not going to leave. You're going to stay on it. 
So did you guys, did you know it was, it was coming? And then once it came, how did you react to that? Because it is, you know, Gavin McLeod's your second dad. And I know you're close, but it's not like you're going to see him every day. You're not going to go to set and say, hey, you know, or you see Ted Lanes, you know. But so did you know it was coming that the show was ending or were you leaving or what happened? I believe, um, and I have, I would have to double check, but I think my recollection is that it was somewhat of a surprise, but not, not a terrible surprise. Um, but I feel like they made the announcement on the set one day and it was like, oh, okay. We were all, you know, it was 10 years all told for everyone, uh, eight and a half, nine for me. And, um, we were ready, I think at that time to move on to do other things. And I, I, I wanted to go to college. I wanted to have some of the childhood that I didn't get to have. I wanted to wake up late in the morning. So for me, I was totally fine with it. Actually, I went straight from Love Boat to an after school, a CBS school break special that Martin Sheen directed called Babies Having Babies. And, and it was great. It was such a departure. And, uh, and then uh, I went to college in England for a semester abroad. And that was amazing and came back and felt living in Los Angeles that it was a lot of pressure. You're only as good as your last job and what's she going to do next? And I, I didn't, I didn't want that pressure. So I ended up moving to New York and I just started figuring out who I was in this new season of life. And I worked at, I got a job. I had a one friend in New York who worked at Madison square garden. And she said, um, if you really want to empower yourself in this industry, you need to learn the other side of the business. So she hired me as a runner uh, at Madison Square Garden for the shows. And I remember two years before, I was co-starring with Stephanie Mills on Love Boat. And now I was um, a runner putting uh, sodas and things in her dressing room at the at Madison Square Garden, which was fine. I didn't care. I didn't have like an ego thing about it. I, I, it was just something new I was learning. And then I ended up staying at the garden for about four years uh, all told and moved up and created a, a, um, a niche job for myself when they started doing productions like the ESPY awards, the essence awards, Harry Connick live, uh, MTV, uh, Bob Dylan live at the garden, uh, birthday celebration. They didn't understand the production rules for unions for television. I grew up with them. Right. So I created this, sort of liaison job for myself working at the garden and it was it was awesome it was great fun and then uh and then i left uh i got engaged and and moved back to california so but it was great now you mentioned that you wrote and produced a mm -hmm. pilot yep what was the pilot about what and what what made you do that idea was it something that you said you know what you you've worked in the industry you know all facets of it so of course you could do it but what what gave you that urge to say, you know, I really want to create something? Well, I've been wanting to do that for a while because with with the industry changing so much and content becoming so much more available and, and uh, just the sheer mass amount of content, I really began to feel like a lot of actresses back then that I needed to create my own vehicles. 
because it was more empowering than sitting around waiting for the phone to ring. So I started working and, and it was not my first iteration of a show that I, that I wrote. It was, uh, uh, gosh, I don't know, 10 years down the road of creating stuff and thinking of stuff. And so I started working with my writing partner for this project and the show is called take it from the top. It's on YouTube. If you type in, take it from the top, Jill Whelan, you'll find it. Um, and it, and it's about, it's kind of loosely based on my childhood and adulthood. Not all of it's true. Some of it's true, but not all of it. Uh, and it's, it's just a really fun sort of traditional old three, not three, well, we shot it with one camera, but kind of that, you know, eighties, nineties sitcom vibe. And it was really fun. We had some amazing people in it. Carolyn Hennessy, Jonathan Mangum, uh, the theme song was written by Ann Hampton Calloway, who wrote the Nanny theme song. And uh, and Ted Lange was our director. And so that was, you know, I have other things, other projects that are much re more recent. But we filmed that all through COVID. Everybody filmed by themselves at their own house. And we did little um, seven-minute snippets that we put together it could be modular and it could be a 30 minute show or it could be you know four to seven minute little internet streaming things and so it's it's there it's really it's really fun now you're also still involved with carnival right are you are you involved with carnival well, uh, Carnival is our parent company but i work specifically with princess cruises yes i am their brand ambassador their celebrations ambassador so what does that entail? Do you, do you get to go and people go, oh my God, love. I mean, it must be cool. It must be, it it's must great. be, it it's must be really surreal. Fun. It is really fun. You know, Princess is a wonderful company to work for. They are, um, I know they're publicly traded, but they really are like a family. And, and I love that about them. Uh, and so I will go and do um, uh, cruises to promote. Uh, we, we did, um, the largest vow renewal at sea, which was a, uh, sanctioned by the uh, Guinness World Records. So that was really cool. So we'll do things like that or we'll go and, um, you know, it just depends on what we're promoting. But there's lots of fun reasons that I get to go. Uh, last time I went was in December and I went to work with Porsche Clubs of America, who did a great, big, huge, fun cruise with so many different uh, Porsche enthusiasts. It was awesome. So now, like that. Now, looking back, who, who who do you look back and go, wow, that person was in a love boat? Like, I mean, who, who do you look back now and say, oh, my God, like Burt Reynolds? Or is there anyone that really, like, people that really stand out and you go, God. So many. So many. The, the first one I think of is Tom Hanks, who is such a doll. Um, the The artist of this, Andy Warhol. Um, Lillian Gish, for God's sakes, um, Olivia de Havilland, who played Melanie in Gone with the Wind, uh, Jane, uh, oh my God, who did we have? Uh, well, we had lots of Janes. We had, uh, gosh, um, why can't I think of Jane it? Jane Wyman. Um, did we have Jane Wyman? We might have. I'm just thinking of Janes. I, I was thinking of tap dancer, Jane. Oh my God, I cannot believe this is such a senior moment. I need more coffee. Um, we've had uh, Halston, which is crazy to think about. I mean, still going back to Andy Warhol. 
Uh, Ginger Rogers, I got to dance with her, which was pretty incredible. I was pen pals with Ethel Merman. Uh, Janie Withers. Uh, uh, who did we have? Uh, Gene Kelly. It, it is amazing. It's fascinating. Now, I, I, I have to get out of here soon. Tell me, do you remember doing the Battle of the Network Stars? What is that like? Because that always seemed like it was the coolest thing. Like if like all the cool actors were on there. And you did it one year. I did it. Uh, I, I can't remember if I did it two years back then. And then I did the most recent one. Um, and it's the same feeling each time. It's like, oh, my God, I have to compete on television and it's not a script and it's just me and I am super competitive so um, it was it was it was really really fun I still hold the record with uh, for tandem bicycling bicycling with one of the actors from uh, oh my goodness wow I'm just having such a day Daniel Hugh Kelly from the Scarecrow and Mrs. King we we still hold the record for tandem bicycling. Um, it was fun. It was just a good time. It was fun. But, you know, once my little competitions were over, I could breathe easy. <laughs> One final question. What what does the future hold for you? What what do you want to do in the next few years? You know, you, you, you're still acting. I know you did you ventured into radio. You're doing a bunch of things. But what do you really want to do? Like, what is your focus for the next few years? Well, right now I am, am in a production deal with uh, a development deal with NBC. So we have a show there that I'm executive producing and um, it will be a scripted show. So hopefully, you know, we will get it on the air soon and I can talk about it more. So there's that. Uh, our showrunners are two incredible women who uh, Liz Crass and Sarah Fane, who uh, have done a lot of different shows. Um, so that's what I'm working on right now. I also have a reality show um, that I'm involved with NASCAR on, of all things. Uh, so there's a, another one of my projects that I'm working on. So a, a lot of producing. I mean, I think I, I will never not act. And the one, the development deal we have with NBC, I'm in. Okay. Uh, as an actress as well, um, the other, the others I'm not participating on camera in, um, but I, I just feel like I have that that to be able to create and produce content is more empowering than just being an actor waiting for somebody to hire you to be in their content. I'm all for that as well, but I, um, I, I've, I've worked the last several years on taking the reins for myself to empower myself because I think that's kind of where the business is these days. You, you, you have to have that. So that's what's next. That's what I'm working on and still acting. And then eventually when I can go back and do my cabaret, I will. I just right now I'm spinning plates. You're busy. And that's what we all want to be busy. So, uh, yep. I want to thank you uh, for coming on. Now, now people can find you on Twitter. It's at Jill Whelan. Is that? I think so. It's at uh, at Whelan Jill. I think. Okay. Any other social but media? I'm also on Instagram. I'm a real Jill Whelan on Instagram and um, Facebook as well. So people so go go find Jill and go to YouTube to find her show and watch it because she'll like that. And uh, follow me yes, on Twitter. Take it from the top. 
Exactly. Take it from the top. So people also follow me on Twitter at Cooper Talk. Uh, you can go to my website, coopertalk.net. There's over 940 episodes there. Email me, cooper, coopertalk.net. Instagram at coopertalk1. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.